There are some interesting characters in Greek mythology, one being the sirens, a creature with a female head and body of a bird. But the most fascinating things about those creatures was their irresistible songs that enticed the mariners. As I was thinking, and I have no idea why I was thinking about the sirens, but as I was thinking about them, here's the question that came to my mind. What is the siren song of your life? What is that irresistible call in your life? Well, I'm hopeful that it is the call of God on your life. It was for Moses. When Moses met the Lord at the burning bush, and God said to him, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egyptian bondage, Moses resisted. He said, God, I don't think I am up to what you're asking me to do. I don't think I can do what you want me to do. But God's call was irresistible in his life, and he came to the point to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you wish. I thought of Gideon. Gideon was hiding from the Midianites, the enemy, when God called him. The the siren song came to Gideon, and he said, Gideon, I want you to lead my people against the Midianites. And Gideon also resisted. He said, Lord, uh, my tribe is the least tribe in all of Israel, and my family is the least family in that tribe, and I'm the least member of my family. God, I can't do that. But it was an irresistible call to him, and he followed the Lord, answering the call. Matthew was at the tax collector's booth when Jesus came by and said, follow me. And it was an irresistible call in his life. Andrew and Peter were fishing when Jesus came by and called them to be disciples, and it was an irresistible call in their life. Today we're going to look at the call of Jeremiah, as the Lord called him. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, Behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Today I want us to look at the call of God, praying that God's call to you is an irresistible call. Now then, as I look at Jeremiah's call, the first thing I notice is that God's call is determined by His sovereignty. God does not call us based on our worthiness or our natural ability. He calls us based on His sovereignty. 
Now, you'll notice there all the personal pronouns in verse number 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. He says, first of all, I formed you. Now, when God is speaking to Jeremiah about his call, he said, Jeremiah, I formed you. I molded you. I created you. I made you. Matthew Henry wrote, He who gave him his commission is the same that gave him his being, that formed him in the belly and brought him forth out of the womb. So as the Lord calls him and as God calls you, he says, I formed you. And then he said, I knew you. Jeremiah, before you were ever born, before you were ever formed, I knew you. Is it not an enormous thought to you that before your mom and dad knew each other, God knew you? I mean, even before your parents knew each other, God already knew you. Paul declares this same thing in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when He who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace. You see, in God's call, it is a sovereign call. He says, I formed you, I molded you, I created you. And He says, I knew you and I consecrated you. One commentator wrote, original endowment, not education, makes a profit. And then he follows that by saying, and I appointed you. He said, Jeremiah, I who formed you, who knew you, who consecrated you, I have appointed you to be a prophet to the nation. Jeremiah's call was determined by the sovereignty of God, and that is typical with God's call. It was also true with God's call to Israel to be His special people. The Bible tells us that God chose Israel in Ezekiel 20, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel. Why did God choose Israel? Well, because He was going to be their God. You see, God was going to be the God of this people. They were not going to be like the other nations who worship multiple gods, but He was going to be their God. Therefore, His expectation of Israel was that they would not be like the other nations. In fact, in Ezekiel 20, verse 7, He says, "...cast away each of you the detestable things of his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God." God says, I am calling you to be my people because you are going to represent me in the world. And you are to be holy because I am holy. It was a sovereign call. Sometimes when God calls, His sovereign call is to those that appear to us to be insignificant. You know, I doubt very seriously that I would have chosen Israel to be my nation if I were God. It's a very small nation. In fact, uh, South Carolina is a small state, but Israel now is about one-fourth the size of South Carolina in land area. It's, it's a very small area. And uh, when Moses sent in the spies to spy out the promised land, you remember what they said when they came back. 
they went over to the promised land and they came back saying, we can't go into the promised land. We're like grasshoppers. I mean, we look like grasshoppers. And the people over there, they are giants. There's no way that we're going to be able to do it. So I doubt very seriously that we would have chosen Israel to be God's nation because they were a relatively insignificant nation. We certainly would not have chosen Bethlehem to be the birthplace of the Messiah. The Scripture says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you, one will go forth for me to be, uh, to be ruler in Israel. Now, really, if you were God and you were choosing a place for your son to be born, would you have chosen Bethlehem? No, I, I would have chosen, you know, London or, or Rome or New York City or Wichita Falls, Texas, someplace like that. But, but Bethlehem? I mean, it was a very small place. It just was not that significant. I doubt that we would have chosen David to be the king of Israel. I mean, he wasn't impressive to his father. When Samuel went to Jesse and said, God is going to anoint one of your sons to, to be the next king of Israel, and uh, Jesse brought all his sons out there, David wasn't one of them. He was back there taking care of the sheep, and so he was so in, insignificant as far as the father was concerned, he didn't even bring him out. He wasn't that impressive to his brothers. When his brothers were fighting against the Philistines, David went down to see them, and Eliab said, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. His brother said to him, what are you doing down here with the big boys? You're supposed to be back home taking care of the sheep. You don't have any business being down here. That's David. He was insignificant, and Goliath was not impressed with him either. In fact, when he went to fight Goliath, the Bible says, When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. So when he went out to fight against against Goliath, Goliath was not impressed with David. The point that I'm making is that he was very insignificant. And yet God chose him. I doubt that we would have chosen the disciples to be the followers of Jesus. Because the Scripture says in Acts 4.13, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, that's the disciples. They were not formally educated or trained in the rabbinical schools. But we wouldn't have chosen them. But God did. The truth is, we probably would not choose ourselves to serve the Lord, would we? I mean, nobody knows me, and those who do don't expect much out of me. And yet it is my belief that there are some of you today, and you know, you know that the call of God is on your life. You can't explain it, but you know that it's there. That Almighty God in His sovereignty is calling you and has been calling you. No one else may be aware of it and would be surprised by it. But in your heart, you have God's call on your life. As I look at the call of Jeremiah, I see that it is determined by the sovereignty of God. God calls those people who oftentimes seem insignificant to others. I also notice that those God calls, He qualifies, He gifts. 
Now look at Jeremiah in verse number 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. My friend, God being with you qualifies you for His call. That's it. If God is with you, then you are qualified for the call of God. I think about the Apostle Paul who was under attack in Macedonia for preaching the gospel. And as a result of that, he left and went to the Gentiles in Corinth. And they constantly criticized Paul. They criticized his appearance. They criticized his speech. They said he's not a real apostle and so forth. So he needed a little assurance from the Lord. And in Acts 18, the Bible says, "...and the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision..." Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. My friend, it doesn't make any difference what everybody else thinks. It doesn't make any difference about the opposition you experience. If God is with you, then you keep on preaching Jesus. If God's anointing is on your life, if God has called you, then that is all you need to be qualified. He says, I am with you. And then in verse number 9, Then the Lord stretched out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. God not only is with those He calls, but He puts His words in their mouth. Make sure it's His words and not your opinion. I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference what my opinion is about things. But I think it does matter what God says. He said, I will put my words in your mouth. Paul declared that in 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. What I want you to see is that Jeremiah was called and Jeremiah was gifted. Israel was called and Israel was gifted. The Lord promised that He would be with His people. That's what He said to Moses. When Moses resisted, He said, Lord, why should Pharaoh listen to me? Lord, why should these people listen to me? You want me to go to them and say to them, I'm going to lead you to freedom. Why should they listen to me? And in Exodus 3.12, And He said, Certainly. I will be with you. That's the reason they'll listen to you. Moses, the reason they will listen to you is because I will be with you. He said the same thing to Joshua. In Deuteronomy 31, 23, Then he commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. God gifts those with His presence He calls. He gives them His power. He did to Moses. Whenever Pharaoh did not respond, then the Lord sent the plagues to force his compliance. He provided for them when they came to the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them. The Red Sea in front of them, the Lord parted it. They went across on dry land. When they were in the wilderness and had nothing to eat, God miraculously provided for them. Folks, that is God when He calls people. When the Lord calls you to anything, when God calls you to service, His promise is that I will be with you and I will provide whatever you need He gifts us. Every believer is gifted. Uh, according to Scripture, now you may say, well, I, I don't have any gifts. Well, either you or Scripture is wrong. 
Because according to the Bible, every believer has the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gifts us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 8, it says that He gives to some wisdom. There are some people who just have supernatural wisdom. The next verse says that He gives to some faith. Now, these are the people who make us nervous. You know, there are some people, and God just gives them faith to believe God, to trust God. And we who don't have that gift get nervous around them because we think they, they're going to lead us off the cliff. But He gives some faith. He gives some, it says in the next verse, the gift of miracles. Now, here's what I want you, and there's a lot of other gifts, but here's what I want you to understand with it. All God's children have been gifted of the Holy Spirit. We do not have the same gifts. That's when we get in trouble. You see, we want everyone to be gifted like I am gifted with the same passion that they have. We want everyone to fulfill the same ministry that God has called me to fulfill. God gives you a gift, but it's not necessarily the gift He gave me. See, we are gifted differently. We have different gifts. Now, because that is true, no one should envy someone else's gift. Nor should you be disappointed in the gift that God has given to you. God has gifted you, and you're not going to have the same gift that I have. You're not going to have the same passion that I have. But I'm glad, aren't you? I mean, it would be very boring if we all had the same gifts and the same passions. Because God has gifted us differently, but we all are gifted. So we are qualified by His giftedness. God calls us by His sovereignty and then He gifts us. And our call and gifts are to fulfill His purpose. Now, what was the purpose of Jeremiah? Look at verse number 10. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. He said, Jeremiah, I have called you to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow. You know what he's saying there? There is a consequence for sin. There is a consequence for sin. Matthew Henry said he must assure those who persisted in their wickedness that they should be rooted out and destroyed. That's the message, Jeremiah. I'm giving you, I have called you, I put my words in your mouth, this is what I want you to say. Those people who continue to rebel against me are going to face the consequences of it. But those who repent of their sin, he says, what I want you to tell them is that I'm going to plant and rebuild. When we yield our lives to the Lord, then we receive the blessings of God. When we rebel against the Lord, then we suffer the consequences of rebellion. What was his purpose? He was to warn Israel. What was the purpose of Israel? Well, I think that they were chosen to be God's representative to the world. I think that they were supposed to show to the world what a, what a godly family is. I, I believe that's a part of it. I think that's a part of the Passover celebration. You recall at the Passover that the son would say to the father, Why is this night different from other nights? And the father would tell the story about the Passover and how God had passed over, how God had saved them, and, and, uh, and how God had preserved their family and so forth. So I think that the Hebrews were supposed to be an example of what fa a family of God was supposed to be. 
I think they also were to be an example of what a godly nation was to be. Because the Scripture says in Deuteronomy 17:15, You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. You shall set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. You see, folks, I think that that was their purpose. I think that they were to be God's representative to the rest of the world. Well, what is the purpose of the church? Well, we debate that. There's a, there's a lot of debate as to what the church is supposed to do, what is the purpose of the church, and so forth. Now, it is my belief that the church has three primary uh, assignments. The first is to worship God. I think that is the first thing that we are to do as the church. We are to worship God. You know, we talk about a worship service, and sometimes I wonder, but how many people actually worship the Lord at the service? That's what this should be. You know, whenever we meet for staff meeting on Sunday morning, and, and I'm praying, I pray for the staff, I pray, Lord, not only that we will fulfill our assignment, but that we will worship you. I don't want to just come up here and preach to you. I want to worship God. Steve doesn't just come and lead the music. He should be joining in worshiping God. See, that is the first thing that we do. We worship God. The second thing that we are given an assignment to is evangelism. The Bible says in Matthew 28, 19, go, there, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. All right, so if we worship God, that is going to lead us to evangelism. And if we do evangelism, then that leads us to discipleship, which is the third. Because the Scripture says in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. What's the purpose of the church? I think it's threefold. We worship God, we reach out to the lost, and we disciple those who get saved. God has a purpose for you as well. And He has gifted you for your purpose. Paul said to Timothy, and for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. God has a purpose for your life, my friend. And He has gifted you according to His purpose. Thirdly, God calls us, He gifts us, and then He gives us promises. What was the promise that He gave to Jeremiah? Look at verse number 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God says, Jeremiah, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to deliver you. You see, here, here was the hesitation of Jeremiah. He said, God, I am young. God said, Jeremiah, I am eternal. Jeremiah said, God, I'm inexperienced. And God said, Jeremiah, I'm omniscient. Whatever you don't have, don't worry about it because I have it. He promised to deliver him. He equipped him in verse number 9. The Lord stretched out His hands, touched my mouth, and said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. He equipped him with His words. He appointed him. In verse number 10, See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. So he says, Now here's the promise that I'm giving to you, Jeremiah. I'm going to deliver you. I, 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 know, that, I know there's opposition. And boy, there was for Jeremiah. There was a lot of opposition for him. I know there's going to be opposition. But I'm going to deliver you, and I'll give you the words you need to say, because I've appointed you. What are God's promises to you? What promises God made to you? If you're a believer, what are His promises to you? 
He's promised His presence. The Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? But that's a promise. I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. I think it's Thursday night. We had the real men session, and Ron Smart, sitting over here, was shared his testimony. Incredibly powerful testimony. But one thing that really touched my heart. He was talking about when uh, he was in prison, he had trusted the Lord and so forth, and then he got away from the Lord. He said, you know, I did some stupid things and got back away from the Lord. And then he realized what he had done, and as a result of that, he repented of that and asked the Lord's forgiveness. Here's what he said that just touched my heart, Ron. He said, I couldn't believe that he would take me back. I couldn't believe that he would take me back. Folks, that's the promise of God. Do you understand that? He said, I will never leave you. I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. That is the promise that God gives to you. He has promised His power for us to fulfill His call. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He has promised to provide for you whatever it is that you need. The Bible says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That is the promise that God has made to you. He has promised His presence with you that He would never desert you. He will never forsake you. He has promised His power that He will give you the power that you need, and He has promised to provide all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let me conclude. Today is my prayer that you will hear God's call on your life. That you will hear His call. You are chosen. You are gifted. You have purpose. Now, God's call, He does not say, will be easy. If you say yes to God's call, friend... If, if you're not a Christian, you're not saved, you've never been born again, and God calls you today, I want you to know that it's more than walking down this aisle and shaking somebody's hand. The Bible does not say that it is going to be easy, but He has promised to be with you. You see, if your call from God is ambiguous, you will not have courage. But if you are committed to the call of God, then you're going to have confidence. Because He'll give you confidence. The Lord has been so gracious. And I'm, I'm so thankful God called me. I'm thankful that He called me to salvation years ago. I'm thankful that He called me to preach and I didn't want to. You know the story. It's not what I wanted to do. I was happy doing what I was doing. But I'm thankful that He called me to preach. And then He called me to First Baptist Columbia. And, and that's not something that was on my agenda either. But I'm so glad He did. Because I had the privilege of pastoring the greatest church in the world. The greatest people in the world. What I'm saying to you, my friend, is that God's call is not easy. But boy, is it satisfying.
So it is my prayer this morning that you will hear the siren call of God, that irresistible call from God, and that you will not resist it. But like Isaiah, it's, Lord, here am I. Here am I. Send me. Our Father in God, we come to you thanking you so much that you love us. Not understanding your great love and mercy, but Lord, we're so grateful. Father, I pray today for those to whom you're calling. That your call is going to them for salvation, to to be a missionary, to be a preacher, to join the church, whatever it is, Father. I pray that your call will be unmistakable and irresistible to them. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. Today, will you answer God's call? Do you hear His siren call to you? Will you answer it? There'll be people, staff members here to receive you. Stand with me, please, as the choir sings. You come, we'll greet you as you do.